This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. And uh, as you are coming back and finding a seat, if you would open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're taking a one-week hiatus uh, from the book of Philippians. We'll be back at it next week. Um, but we're going to do something a little bit different today. I have a sermon and sort of an extended, uh, extended announcement to make uh, as well about our fall. So anyway, that's what we're going to cover today. We're going to look at a passage in Luke uh, chapter 10. Well, uh, football season's starting up. You're probably aware of that. This is the time, there you go, uh, this is the time where uh, all Cowboys fans have high hopes and uh, hope for a new day that, uh, that, that all things will be different and alas, um, hopes will be dashed and dreams will be crushed uh, as our team will end up 8-8 eight and eight and will miss the playoffs once again, though this year 8-8 eight and eight might be like really good. So uh, there it is. Um, just want to rain on your parade to start with. Just putting in things in perspective, what really matters. And uh, so there, there you have the Cowboys season. But one of the greats, uh, I've, always, I've always been moved by a story I've heard, and I tried to track it down as best I could. Uh, and it could be apocryphal, but I'm going to tell it like it's true because uh, it's a great story. And it's a story about uh, one of the greatest coaches to ever coach in the NFL, and that was Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi coached in uh, the 1960s, uh, 59 to, I don't know, 67, something like that. He coached the Green Bay Packers, and under his um, tenure, they won two Super Bowls. And uh, he was known... I knew he was known as a motivator. Uh, I knew he was really known as a guy who was a tough guy, a really a man's man, kind of a tough guy, worked the guys hard. Uh, and I thought he was really known as a motivator. But doing a little research, what I found out is that not only was he a motivator, it wasn't just like he had a great locker room speech, but he was a teacher. Uh, he was primarily known as a coach who was a teacher who could teach uh, guys the game, and they won. And the, the story that I've read and reread this week is about how he opened the beginning of uh, training camp or the beginning of the season. It was, uh, you know, early uh, for the guys. And when he called them all together to speak to them, um, the reports are he, he called his players together that he grabbed a football and that he held up the football to them. And he began the season with the following instruction. Gentlemen, this is a football. And uh, he was making a pointed statement. Of course, everyone knew that. Uh, everyone was aware of that. But he was making a pointed statement as he then went on to explain of the importance of fundamentals, of the importance of what's basic. And for even a team with a Super Bowl victory, he found it important to go back to the very basics of identifying what a football is and starting with gentlemen this is a football. And the truth is, uh, then he went on to teach the, the fundamentals of tackling, fundamentals of blocking, because he, be, he believed that if you, if you had the fundamentals down, uh, if you were bulletproof on the fundamentals, that you would have a much better chance of winning. And, and uh, his strategy and his teaching proved true with the players he had. And it's, it's, it's true for us as well. As Christians... Uh, as Christians gathered together in a family that is a church, it is helpful to sometimes just go back and say, what are the fundamentals? What is basic? What really matters? What is my life all about? What am I giving myself to? What's my purpose? To just kind of shut out the noise for a little bit and say, why am I here and what am I doing? And for a church to do that as well, for a church family to look and say, what is core to who we are? What is fundamental? What is basic? What is the most, if we, if we peel away all the extraneous stuff, what is the core thing that we're about as a church? And what's the core thing that really matters? So this morning, uh, I'm going to give my gentlemen and gentle ladies, uh, all of us, um, this is a football message, just acknowledging something very basic and then calling us to something very basic and then following that up with some explanation of how to walk this out. So I'm going to read the familiar story of Luke 10. If you're new to the Bible, this may not be familiar, but if you have read the Bible, 
and you're familiar with the ministry of Jesus, this is a very, very familiar story uh, that has taken on all kinds of, uh, all kinds of uh, proportion uh, since it first happened. It's a story of two ladies named Mary and Martha and Jesus, and it's found in Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning and we sit at your feet. Uh, We want to posture ourselves as learners, as listeners. We want to... Uh, for these moments, leave the dishes and the preparations, and we want to sit at your feet and listen. And we pray, Lord, that you would silence the noise, that you would quiet the distractions, and that you would focus our hearts and focus our minds on you. We ask you to speak to us through your holy scripture, your word here. Thank you for this glorious encounter that you've included for us to read in the narrative of your life. And we pray that we would benefit from its message. Lord, speak in a profound way. Lord, not just for these moments, but for, uh, for some of us resetting the trajectory of our lives, uh, for some of us waking us up, for others of us just a reminder that this is what we were created for. So speak to us now. Fill me with your spirit to declare your word to your people, and may we all be hearers and doers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a whole lot has been made of this passage uh, over the years. In the early church, the early church fathers, uh, some took this passage to be a statement that Jesus was endorsing the contemplative life, uh, the contemplative life of like a monk or something, uh, as, as opposed to the secular life or the busy life uh, of someone who's doing what uh, Martha is doing. Other people maybe haven't argued for a, two different types of life, Uh, religious and secular, but others have argued um, for looking at this passage and making a distinction and sort of prioritizing certain types of life so that the study of God's word and the meditation on God's word and communion with God is to be uh, valued uh, higher than acting for God or serving for God or doing something practical for God. Now, there is one small problem with that, uh, and the small problem with that saying that this is what you should be doing and not the other, saying be a Mary and not a Martha, the problem with that is how the Lord ordained the context of this story, because the immediate uh, story before this is the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, so here is where, surprise, a Samaritan who was not expected to do the right thing to the Jewish mind uh, cares for someone who is afflicted and hurt, serves him, actively helps him, takes him, provides care, and then takes him to get care. And then here's how Jesus closes the story. He says in verse 37, right above where we read, the one who showed him mercy, uh, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So Jesus is just commanded to go and do something. So to say we're not to ever do anything, uh, but just sit his, his feet all day long, and that's preferable, as probably doesn't really work out in the context. Others have just generalized this, almost like a personality profile. Well, there's two types of Christians. Are you a Mary, or are you a Martha? Or are you a Martha trying to be a Mary in a Martha world? Or, you know, whatever the, the titles and the seminars and the books are called. So th- this is one as well. So there are all kinds of ideas about what's going on here. And I want to take a few moments just to look at this passage and consider what is going on. Well, let's look at the beginning. Uh, we see from the beginning that Jesus comes to a house 
uh, comes to a village, and there's a woman named Martha who welcomes him, verse 38, welcomed him into her house. So she is the matriarch of this house. Perhaps she is a, uh, she may be a widow because there's no mention of her husband uh, whatsoever. So she, this is her house, and she welcomes Jesus into her house, and she not only welcomes, she not only invites him in, but she does something practical. She serves him. Look at verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving. So she is seeking to take care of the Lord. She's seeking to extend hospitality to Jesus. And this is certainly a good thing. The Bible commands hospitality. God wants his people to be hospitable. Romans 12, 13, for instance, says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So caring, uh, make it providing food, making someone comfortable, giving them a place uh, perhaps to stay or to rest. These kind of things are commanded in scripture. So she is busy serving. And it doesn't tell us what she's doing, but perhaps she's, you know, preparing uh, the place. Likely she's preparing a meal. That's probably what's going on is that she's serving in the kitchen. She's cooking. She is uh, preparing some type of meal. And we find out immediately that her sister is present. We don't know if she lives there or not, but her sister is present as well. And her sister, whose name is Mary, verse 39, is sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. Now, what's happening in Luke's writing here is he's giving us two really surprising details of stories. He's giving us uh, the previous story about the Good Samaritan was about how do we love our neighbor. That, that's what the, the person asks him, who is my neighbor? So this is about the second, but this, this passage is about the second great commandment. The Samaritan is about the second great commandment, how to love your neighbor as yourself. Now we're getting a story that's about how to love the Lord. So the first great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your so, uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So we get a story about neighbor, and we get a story about loving God, and both of them have surprise twists to them. One of them includes a Samaritan who we would not expect to do the right thing. And this one includes a woman, Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus. This would have been radical to the original readers uh, because she is assuming the posture of a disciple, something that was uniquely male. She was, uh, what Martha is doing is what is culturally expected given the gender roles of the day. It would be culturally expected that a woman would be about domestic responsibilities. It would be culturally surprising that she would be not in the background listening in, but assuming the posture of a disciple. A disciple sat at the feet of a master. Teachers typically sat, and their disciples sat around them as learners, followers. So she submitted, she's obedient. And, and she's sitting where disciples should be sitting. So she is there. Uh, it's unusual. The Lord was progressive in his day in bringing the gospel to, uh, to, to people, men and women alike. And so he, she is sitting there listening as a disciple. And this does not sit well with Martha because Martha comes in and she is mad. We can kind of imagine she's doing all the serving and Mary's just sitting out there. And so she may have done that thing like maybe you do uh, when your spouse is not helping out, something like that. Maybe she banged a few pans a little bit just to get attention and, oh, dropped something. And I, I could somebody help me reach this up here and come in, what are you doing? Would you help me in here? You know, maybe that's all going on. We don't really know. Given, given her the evil eye, we, we're not really sure what she's doing. But she is getting huffy as it's going on. And she goes out and she says to the Lord, verse 40, do you not care? Wow, that's strong. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Tell her then to help me. So she comes out and she is upset. Now, what has happened in this scenario? Verse 40 gives us a real key. Martha, verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. And it is this distraction that has led to frustration for her. She, uh, she has become distracted. The word distracted 
is a word that means to be dragged away or to be pulled away. It's a passive verb. It means to be pulled away or to be dragged away. So she has been pulled away from something, or in this case, someone, and she is serving. That led one commentator to write, the implication is that Martha wished to hear Jesus, but was prevented from doing so by the pressure of providing hospitality. She wanted to hear Jesus. The word distracted means pulled away, but she is pulled away. When we are distracted, we are focused on something or focused on someone. Distracted means we lose our focus And we focus on something else. And that's what happens to her. She gets distracted and her service is pulling her away from Jesus. She's being pulled away from Jesus. And this is the reality that once we lose our focus on Christ, once we lose sitting at his feet, once we lose the priority of being with him listening to, he's teaching, listening to his word. Once that happens, things go south very quickly. And it's easy to begin to complain, and it's easy to begin to have self-pity. That's what she's doing. It's easy to lose perspective. I mean, she's lost perspective. Look what she comes in and says, Jesus, do you even care? I mean, don't you see what I am going through to serve you? I mean, I've been left to do this alone. So if you care, verse 40, if you care, he says, uh, tell her to help me. Do you see this? That when we lose our focus on him, even if we are doing things to serve him, things get crazy. And what happens is she moves from welcoming him. I mean, what's the beginning? The beginning thing is she welcomes him into her home. She moves from welcoming him to accusing him and instructing him in a matter of moments. That's how distraction causes us to lose perspective causes us to focus on ourselves, causes us to compare who's doing and who's not doing what I'm doing. She she gets busy, and she gets her eyes off him. She moves from listener. Look at this. She moves from listener to God to lecturer to God like that, telling God what he needs to do for her. So she is maintaining the exact opposite position of one who sits at his feet as a listener, one who is submitted to his authority, knowing that he is good and kind and gracious. So Jesus responds. He doesn't tell Mary, get up and get in the kitchen. He doesn't do that. He responds differently. Verse 41, the Lord said, Martha, Martha. And I think this is a compassionate voice. I mean, we don't get tone of voice in the scripture. Uh, But I don't think this is just like some, he's not yelling at her. It's not some strong rebuke. This is compassionate. You are anxious and you are troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So she's been pulled away. She's become anxious. She's become troubled about a lot of things. This is what happens. When I'm anxious in life, when I'm worried in life, when I'm troubled about many things in life, the majority of the time, maybe always, uh, I'm, I'm not focused on him. I'm focused on many things. Sitting at his feet, I've never felt overwhelmed. Busy and troubled and worried and anxious about many things, my eyes are off him, and I'm just getting glimpses. I'm just getting a hearing, just listening for bits and pieces of what's going on in the other room. That's my experience. It lines up exactly what, what, what hers is. She's anxious and she's troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. She's become overburdened. She's become overwhelmed by so many things that she's forgotten what Jesus calls the one thing. One thing's necessary. He contrasts. You're worried about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And that one thing that is most important is the person, Jesus. 
And he uses this great phrase. He says that Mary has chosen the good portion. The word portion is a word, we use it this way as well, but in Greek it's used as a word that, re- that refers to a meal. And we say that too, you know, trying to work on portion control. Uh, means I don't have food like lopping over my plate over the table onto the ground uh, because I'm ex- exercising some self-control is what that means. So we say portions. That's what it says here as well. He says, she has chosen the better meal. She's put, chosen the one thing. One thing is necessary. She's chosen the good meal. What one author said, Martha is preparing a banquet while Mary is already enjoying one. Martha is preparing a banquet while Mary is already enjoying one, feasting on the word of Christ, the one thing that matters. She's focused on Jesus as a follower, as a learner, as a disciple, and that won't be taken away from her. Her right focus, her communion with the Lord, what she is receiving from the Lord will not be taken away from her. What's most important is not what we're producing for the Lord, what we're receiving from the Lord. It's more important that you receive ministry from the Lord than you give ministry to the Lord. It's at least more important in terms of priority, meaning that what comes first. Because if we're not receiving from the Lord, we have nothing to give from the Lord to others. When when I am not receiving spiritual nourishment, I have nothing to feed anyone else with. And what I find is I get anxious and worried and troubled about many things. That's what I find in my own life. And so he says, this is really valuable what she has received. She has the right perspective. She wants to focus on Christ. She has the right position. She is seated at his feet, eager, leaning in, listening, She has the right priority. Most important thing right now is not getting the house ready. The most important thing right now is not getting the meal ready. The most important thing right now is is not to make sure the accommodations are all ready. The most important thing right now is to be sitting at his feet and communing with Jesus. God is in the house. And the most important thing is to be paying attention to God, not just preparing for God at this time. Perhaps it would have been better to do a simple thing, a simple meal. Perhaps it would have been better to allow some things to be unsettled or cluttered. or me- I don't know what the house looked like or exactly what she was doing. But there may be some things that are left to later. And right now, let's focus on him. Let's listen to him. One commentator, Bach, who's a professor down the road at Dallas Seminary, he he wrote this about Luke, uh, this passage. He says, this passage highlights, listen to this language, a major feature of discipleship, choosing to order one's affairs properly. He's saying this is a story that that shows us something really important, a major feature about discipleship, and that's this that we order our affairs properly. One, he writes, one of the facts of life is that its demands are often all-consuming. The disciple who reflects on Jesus' teaching receives a meal that is never removed. This is Luke's message to disciples. Sit at Jesus' feet and devour his teaching since there's no more important meal. A major feature, he says, of discipleship is choosing to order one's affairs properly. I would say many of us don't think of that as a major feature of discipleship. If, if we were to ask, what, what is most important about your life? What are you giving yourself to? What is the Lord focusing on in your life? We wouldn't even know where to start answering that. We're just running to and fro and doing whatever's in front of us. And yet, Mary demonstrates that a major feature is that she's ordering her affairs. She is doing the one thing that's necessary right here. doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't need to eat. doesn't mean that he doesn't need a place to Sit down. It just means that right now, what's the most necessary thing is to commune with him, to receive from him, and not just to do a lot of stuff for him. Much can be said about this story, but what is clear is that it is a story about what's necessary. This is a story about priorities. This is a story that indicates that sometimes, not always, but sometimes, certainly in this instance, sometimes serving Jesus can pull one away from Jesus. 
That's what Martha has learned. Serving Jesus has pulled her away from Jesus. Sometimes activity for Jesus can substitute for communion with Jesus. Activity for Jesus substitutes for communion with Jesus. It's a story that warns against distraction. I think that's the most important. I think that's the interpretive key is verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving because that produced the anxiety and the trouble. That produced Jesus's word that you're focused on many things when only one thing's necessary. It was the distraction. It was being pulled away and lured into other things. And so this passage calls us to ask about distraction. Have you been pulled away from focus on Christ in some way that hinders you from receiving from him? Are you in the habit of living as a disciple who, first of all, is concerned with being at Jesus' feet and listening to his word so that you may be faithful and fruitful in service of him? And not worried and distracted by so many things. Are you anxious and troubled about many things? Even things that that have to do with serving him. Like caring for your family. Like serving in the church. like Like being a witness to others. Like being a faithful employee. Things that God calls us to. Things that are actually called worship of God. Do all your work heartily unto the Lord. To the Lord. That's an act of worship. Are we troubled by so many things that we miss? This is a natural application that communing with Jesus precedes ministry for him. Communing with Jesus empowers ministry for him. And by ministry, I mean service in all areas of life, including service in the church. Including service in the church. So that's a fundamental application. Priority, what's most important not losing focus, not becoming distraction. A key feature of a disciple is ordering one's priorities, ordering one's affairs in an appropriate way. So there's an orderly nature to the affairs of what I give myself to. That's a very natural application. And so I could go into a section now about how do we do that? How do we commune with the Lord? And that'd be a very valuable study and it'd be a very fair application to this. But I want to do something a little bit different. I want to make a corporate application. Now, I know this isn't a passage, um, you know, like a letter to the Philippians where God's saying, hey, church, this is what I'm saying to you. I I get that. But there is a principle here that I think can relate not only to the individual, but could relate to us as a family as well. There's a corporate benefit uh, to learn from this passage, I believe. Can a church be distracted? Now, certainly, when I say church, that's not a monolithic um, organization. People are different. Uh, Some people, I read this passage and go, whoa, there's just a kind of a stinging rebuke to the passage that we feel because the Holy Spirit's speaking to us. Others of us, this is sort of where we give ourselves and we're helped, we're reminded, we're encouraged, but maybe it doesn't hit us the same way. So we're we're not all the same here. But generally speaking, as a church, is it possible to be distracted? Now, here's the key. Is it possible, if we're going to be fair to the text, or allow the text to be fair to my application, let my application be fair to the text, I want to say this. Is it possible to be distracted by things that are serving, by things that are serving Jesus? I mean, it's a good thing to feed Jesus. It's a good thing to care for Jesus. We're called to hospitality. Martha's not a bad person. Martha's doing good stuff. He doesn't say, Martha, Martha, you're troubled by bank robbery and murder and uh, kidnapping and so many things like that. Sit at my feet. No, she's troubled by serving Jesus. She's distracted by serving the Lord. So is it possible that through much service, even good things, we could get off our first priority? Is it possible? I mean, no one would argue that feeding dinner to God is wrong, but the passage says that something is wrong. I mean, many of us would be right there with Martha because we are getting the work done for Jesus. That's some of us. We are very busy. We are very active. We signed up on the city and no one else did. And we're saying to the Lord, Lord, don't you see that I'm the only one that signed up on the city? Are you going to leave me to be the only one serving in 
that role. Some of us are very busy and very active and very serving. And we have a, we have a propensity to be the kind of person that wants to get things done. And when we look around, we can, uh, if, if, we're not, if we're not communing with the Lord, we can get distracted and um, fall into self-pity just like she did and even accuse the Lord and wonder if the Lord cares. Something here about distraction, something about busyness, something about priorities, something about ordering things the way they should be ordered as a follower of Christ or as a family of disciples, which is what a church is. So this summer, late this summer, um, we spent time as pastors talking about the church. It happened late in the summer rather than early in the summer because our schedules have been so busy we couldn't get together and talk about, well, partially because we were taking vacations at different times, but we we were kind of late in discussing the year's plan this year, and that was partially due to busyness. But we began to look around as a church, and we thought, where where do we think the church is? And here's a word that we all use. We think a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people in the church are busy just busy. We've been active as a church. Normally, you tone things down in the summer. Normally, summer, we just sort of take a break. And then right now is the Sunday where I come and tell you, here's the 40 things we're doing for you to pick from. And frankly, we'd like you to be at all of them starting in September. So this is, this is usually, this is a football, gentlemen, this is a football. That's usually the speech to say, get busy for Jesus. And uh, because we usually take it light in the summer and pick it up. But this summer was different. Um, I'm going to kind of give a little bit of a state of the union here. I'm not asking Pete or Rob to sit behind me and applaud or for you to stand up during the state of the union. Though when I'm done on the way out, I will be shaking hands and taking pictures with babies and that kind of stuff. So, but... Uh, we just said, hey, we, we have been busy. Normally, we tone down the summer, but we just looked. You know, leading into the summer, we had just finished a pilot program for STEPS. And then this summer, we, did, uh, we announced and did a couple of mission trips. Uh, we did our first vacation Bible school, which was outstanding. All this was outstanding. We did a marriage conference, not just a marriage conference, but a marriage conference with follow-up groups. Uh, we did a Financial Peace University course. Uh, we did a new members seminar. We did a concert just this week. Uh, and all along, we did our small groups as well. So we, we, the announcements this summer were just full of opportunities. Matter of fact, early in the summer, we just said, look, we just got to focus on one announcement. If we focus on too much, there's so much stuff going on. If we focus on everything, we don't have time to sing or have a sermon. So we're just going to, fo- we're going to mention everything, but we're just going to focus on one. So we had to shift our announcement strategy uh, because of that, there may be other things going on that I, I forgot about, but but it's just been busy with a lot of activity as a church, and not only that, but we live in a busy culture. Now, there's always been a time for busyness because this proves it. Without electricity or indoor plumbing, you can get busy with Jesus in the other room. So it, it's not just the internet. It's not just. Uh, your iPhone, my iPhone. It's, it, it, it's not just those things that are a distraction, though they, they are. It's not just that we have television and that we have a lot of opportunities. And it's not just that because, again, Martha had none of those things. And she was busy to the point that she was pulled away from what's most important. But we do live in a busy culture. We live in a kid-busy, kid-active, kid-child-centered culture. I, I read a... Uh, I read an article this week where some organization studied 189 mid-sized cities in the U.S., 189 mid-sized cities in the U.S., to determine what is the best place to raise kids. So out of the 189 cities, we came in number five, higher than anyone else in Texas. Uh, Olathe, Kansas was number one. So that's probably the only place busier than us for kids. Or maybe there's four cities. So we are at the top of stuff that is for kids. And it's all kicking in gear. See, that's the other thing right now. It's all kicking in gear. So I hate to distract you, but today's the last day of no sales tax on your purchases back to school. That's today. So thanks for being here and not at the mall, but um, where everybody else is, because we've got to get ready, get all of our stuff for school right now. It's back to school. It's about to kick into gear. And in Frisco, we don't just do school. We do 
everything. So we do sports, and we don't just do sports. This has been ranked the best city to raise an athlete in the country, I've read. We don't just do team sports. We do individual private instruction for our team sports. So you've got to have juniors five years old in T-ball, and he's already got a pitching coach, and they don't even pitch in (laughs) T-ball. I mean, seriously. And then we not only have our team sport, but I've also got my individual sports. I'm also in swimming. I'm also in martial arts. I'm also in whatever else we do individually. So we are just like, I've got to be in all the, and then we, but we don't, but we also have to have music lessons. I'll be careful here because we have a couple of people that make their living off of private music instruction, (laughs) but we have no one in the church that makes their living off private coaching that I know of. If you do come and tell me, and I won't use that illustration again. So I'm going to be light on the music teachers. Uh, because we've got some that need to put food on their table, and they're not going to like it if I just crash their line of work. There's a place for coaches, a place for music teachers. You get the point. But we have to have you know, our music lessons, and then we have to be in science camp and math camp and private tutoring. And then we also live in a religious culture, so there's a lot of stuff to do down at the church. So we're in Awanas, and we're in the after-school deal, and we're in the youth group, and we're in all the activities that happen down there as well. And so if you go to a fast food restaurant, and I challenge you to do this like at 6 o'clock, just sit there and watch how many families just drive through, and that's dinner on the run as we're going to the next practice or the next event or the next thing up at the school. Or the church. So parents are slammed. They're working. They're at home. It's a full-time job just to shuttle kids to activities in Frisco. They're in the gym. They're volunteering at the school, or perhaps they homeschool, which is a whole other level of uh, involvement and busyness and all the activities that can go with that. They're serving at the church. Every dad that I've met in Frisco is a coach, and every mom I've met is like the room mother of the elementary school. I don't know how everybody does it all, but everybody is doing tons of stuff. So we are a busy church. We have been in a busy culture, and I'm just asking, is anybody, or are we stopping to sit down and be with Jesus in the middle of all that? As a church life, our church life has grown increasingly complex over the years. It started out really really basic with a church planting team, many of people who had moved from somewhere else. So they didn't know anybody. They didn't know about all the stuff, weren't in all the activities yet. It was, it was really a pure kind of acts two deal where we're just here planting a church, getting going and starting our lives. And so there was a lot of relationship, a lot of time together. And we just did sort of Sunday morning and small group. And it was very, very simple, but it got more complex And we kept adding, we've kept adding things every year. And it just causes us, we just had to ask, are we giving ourselves to what's most important? Are we prioritizing, are we doing that basic function of discipleship and ordering our affairs in an appropriate manner? And if we're called to be under shepherds, with Jesus as the chief shepherd, if we're called to be under shepherds, are we protecting and feeding and caring for the flock Or are we just increasing a frantic kind of a life? Are we just like feeding the sheep Red Bull and just getting everybody (laughs) hyped up? So over the years, we've added ministries and programs and classes and outreaches. Not one of them. I I don't look back at one of them and think it was sinful. Don't look back at one of them and think it wasn't a good thing. Just like I don't think making a meal for Jesus is not a good thing. So it's all been a good thing. But we, we've observed. Here's what I've observed. I think the guys would agree with this. I've observed that increased activity at times has diluted our priority, our priorities, rather than strengthening them. Here's what I've observed. I've observed that increased activity has not bred deeper relationships in the church. So just more time together doesn't mean just more activities where we're in the same room serving together doesn't mean that we're closer. Just like 300 Facebook friends doesn't mean you really have 300 friends. Hate to break that to you, but uh, it means that you've got 300 connections on the computer. Increased activity is not bred deeper relationships. It's not bred closer friendships necessarily in all cases. In some cases it has. It hasn't given a greater sense of connectedness. More activity doesn't necessarily create a greater sense of connectedness. It does not give a clearer vision about what we're about. As a matter of fact, sometimes it can be confusing to the vision. Many things, troubled by many activities. 
It hasn't, it hasn't provided for some people. For some, it has. But for some people, it hasn't provided a sense of home. Just because there's more to do on the calendar, I, this doesn't feel like home more to me. It doesn't feel like home more necessarily. Increased activity has not fostered unity. We do more together, so we're unified. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It hasn't cultivated a sense of ownership. Well, I'm in more stuff, so this must, I must really have ownership in this church. Not necessarily. It hasn't, more activity hasn't caused greater participation. In some cases, it just means that core servants are doing more and are spread more thin. That's what it means. It means that some people are doing a whole lot more stuff and are spread thin. Increased activity has not necessarily encouraged uh, personal hospitality. Increased activity has not increased getting into one another's homes necessarily. It has not necessarily, in some cases it has, but it hasn't overall. It hasn't increased spontaneous get-together. Increased activity has not provided stickiness. And by that I mean that it hasn't caused people to necessarily stick to the church that come in. So they come in for a little while, and we've got eight things for you to come to. Okay, now I'm in. Some people will jump in and do all eight things. There is that kind of person. But it hasn't made us more sticky as a church to do more things necessarily. Uh, It hasn't prevented membership turnover. And we never had more activities for this purpose. But it it never has worked out that keep everybody involved and they'll stick around. No, not necessarily. It doesn't create a solid, it hasn't created for us to date a a solid, um, causes to avoid any kind of membership turnover. Increased activity has not necessarily increased uh, maturity for us. For some it has. I mean, some of the things that have happened have really helped us all grow, but it, it's, not an, it's not a guarantee for maturity or deep spirituality. As a matter of fact, in this account, it would indicate that if the priority isn't right, preparing a meal for Jesus is a, is a good thing. It's biblical. Hospitality is a good thing. But if, if it's out of order and it's a lot of activity and it's not with the Lord simply sitting at his feet, then it can give a false sense of maturity. Because I'm doing a lot. And why aren't they doing it? Why isn't she serving with me, right? There's some self-righteousness here in Martha, at least under the surface. So we came to the end of the summer and we said, look, for eight years, maybe not the first couple of years, but for eight years, fall has been ramp up activity time. And we just looked at it and we said, you know, this fall, we think if we're, if we're going to be faithful to serve the sheep, be faithful shepherds, we, we think there are some tired sheep. We think there are some distracted sheep, and, and I would say that the, the pastors are among those pastors are sheep uh, among that group. Some distracted sheep, some overwhelmed sheep with work, family, school, activities, trying to balance it all. Got some sheep that feel disconnected. Got some new people, some new sheep that aren't sure where to come in and what to do. Well, I heard you guys are doing five things. If I really wanted to get involved, what's mo- what is most important here? I'd love to survey people that just came this summer and say, what is Grace Church all about? It's possible we'd get as many different answers as we interviewed people, potentially, because we've lacked lacked a focus and a clarity. Uh, We have some seasoned members who have said goodbye to friends and are weary to jump in, perhaps, again, to a lot of different activities and uh, start over. Many are unclear about our priorities, so... And we bear responsibility for that. That's not the church's responsibility to clarify the priorities. That's the elders' responsibility. So... We just looked and said, hey, it's possible, and in some cases it's for sure, and in some cases it's possible that increased activity has thinned our fruitfulness, um, that it is uh, that our overall pace of life as people and in this city and in this church is drawing us away from most imp- what's most important. And I believe we live in a culture where busyness is an idol, and not one person in this room is immune to that. So it's easy to talk about those people out there that are doing all that stuff, and we are they. We, we are the same kind of people. So we said this. What if we did something radical? What if we started with like a zero-sum balance, zero budget? What, what if we said everything's off the calendar? We're doing nothing. What, and then from there said, let's put some things on the calendar for the fall. So we said, uh, if we were to do that, what would we do? What if we said, what's fundamental? What's core? What's central? 
And what if we said this fall will be a time to refocus on the Lord, for all of the church to reorient our personal priorities? If, if Bach is right, and I think he is, that part of discipleship is properly ordering one's affairs in a priority, if that's true, what if we all sought to reorient our priorities? What if we tried to recalibrate our schedules? And all these re's came out accidentally. I didn't try to do this. Uh, to refocus on the Lord, reorient our priorities, recalibrate our schedules. Possibly God would refresh our souls. Possibly we would reconnect as a church. Possibly we would renew our mission. And so that's what we're going to do. So we started and we said, what would we put on the calendar? We started, we said, we will meet on Sundays. We got verses on that. And uh, so like the fourth commandment, uh, we're not Sabbatarians in the strict sense of the word, but we do believe that we are, we do believe in the Lord's day, that there's a day set aside for worship and fellowship. And uh, that's the first day of the week. So we're, we're going to have church on Sundays and because uh, we feel like that would honor the Lord. And uh, then, you know, if you're too busy for that, well, you need drastic, we will have an ER set up for you. You need drastic measures if you can't even do that one thing. So we, we are going to meet on Sunday. But here's what we're going to do for the fall. Uh, we're going to pull the whole family together. We're going to try to pull the whole family together for the fall into a single service. And we're going to meet at 10 o'clock. And those who know about statistics, and that we're, we're, not, we're not the same size church we were at our peak. That's just the reality. Uh, and those who do numbers and can tell me all these kind of deals, tell me that we can, hopefully, uh, all meet together and do children's ministry, and we can pull it off where we are right now in a single service based on where things have been over the summer. So that is what we're going to do. It makes it simple. It unites us. The whole family is in the room. It cuts back on service responsibilities because we only have one children's ministry and not two. And the guys that are here at ushering at eight in the morning get to go home before one in the afternoon. Uh, and the worship team that gets here at seven thirty in the morning uh, doesn't stay until one in the afternoon either. So those who are serving in all kinds of areas, it will focus us and it will allow us for some connection. And this is what we want to really, really encourage personal connection. Because if we go from 10 to 1130, we have an hour and a half service. <clears throat> if we go from 10 to 1130, that is a perfect lunchtime. Nine, this service ends at 1030. Most people aren't eating lunch at 1030. So it's easy to just go home to your own deal. Um, at 1240, the second service ends at 1245. <clears throat> if you've got little kids, they're crying, they need to home for a nap. 1130 is a sweet spot that we thought, hey, wow, people could actually have lunch together more often. People could invite new people. It would be really, really likely. We're all here. All the guests will be in one service. So you could throw something in the crock pot and say, our goal is to find a new person and bring them home. And, uh, and for lunch, not, not, not like a stray puppy or something. Bring them home for lunch. <laughs> For lunch. <laughs> so you could <clears throat> bring them home. Now, because we're going to start at 10, we do not, I'm going to tell you some other things we're cutting back on, uh, but we want, to, we want to focus on prayer. So we're going to, instead of just doing a brief prayer meeting before the service, anybody who wants to come in that room, we're going to pray at 9 o'clock for 50 minutes. So there'll be a serious prayer meeting to pray for the meeting, to gather together, and we just feel like it would be really helpful. We're only going to do this for the fall but it would be really helpful for us to come together, to focus together, to drill down together, to hear the same prophetic words, the same fellowship, the same uh, thing together, to prioritize Sunday and say, let's make this critical, vital, central. This is to who we are. This is non-negotiable. This is just before the Lord. He's calling us to be together. Now, if, if a lot of new people start coming or some new people start coming or we get into the middle of the fall and, man, it's really bedlam and it's super uncomfortable and it's unhelpful, then we'll go back to two services before January and we'll say, well, our, our motives were good. Uh, I, th- I think they are. I think we're, we're doing this for the right reason. But if we can, we're going to do it the whole fall and uh, prioritize Sunday. It's the Lord's Day and call folks to be together. Let's all be together. Let's blow the roof off in worship and singing. Let's listen, apply, let's hang out, let's fellowship, let's get somebody to lunch at 1130. Uh, let's go back to basics. 
Secondly, we moved to community groups, and this has been a foundational part of our church since the beginning. It's it's the core of all that we do. It's where we seek to build relationships. It's where we seek to apply truth. It's where we care for one another. It's where we express spiritual gifts together. It's where we... um, it's where we just sort of do life together, we said. And we, we do them for a year at a time. We ask people to commit for a year, and that's up. Everybody, you know, at the end of August, everybody's a free agent, and including our leaders, they're free agents. Uh, and so we're asking you in September to find a group. Go back to the same group you've been in if you want. That's great. If you'd like to be in a different group for this next year, that's fine too, whatever you would like to do. So we are going to continue to do small groups, if you're new, jump in. This fall, they're all open to anyone and everyone. So we encourage you to jump in. It's a way to meet people. It's the way to connect at the church, especially when you hear about the rest of the calendar. So we're going to do that, um, and uh, we want to encourage uh, everyone to participate. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to simplify it. We're only going to meet twice a month. So the way we do it right now, we meet twice a month, everybody together, once a month men, once a month women. We're going for the fall. We're not going to do men's and women's group, we're only going to be together twice a month. And we're going to have a set curriculum. We're going to go through a book uh, called Crazy Busy. Uh, And this, I don't know if you can see the drawing. It's by Kevin DeYoung, but the drawing is a stick figure. He's black, and he's got an exclamation point for his head. I don't know if you see that, but that's the way some of you look. You come in the room with an exclamation point on your head (laughs) running to the next thing, and I do too. So we're going to go through this book. So we're not just going to meet twice to meet twice. We're going to meet twice to drill down and say, what are our priorities? How are we ordering our lives? What is the scripture? The last chapters on Mary and Martha, by the way, and he does a great job of talking about personal devotional life, which I didn't do much of today. But it is a really, really helpful book. Uh, any guest, any person, if you've been a Christian 50 years or you've been a Christian five minutes, this book will be helpful for you. And we feel like it's a very good context to bring new people into. It's easy to talk about our schedules, our lives, and some of that kind of stuff. So we're going to do that twice a month and make space by not doing the men's and women's groups. Uh, So that's what we're doing. Once a week on Sunday morning, all together, family time. Twice a month, community group, and that's it. We're not going to do man-to-man. We're not going to do Flourish. Flourish had a Christmas event. We pulled it off the calendar. Flourish had a women's Bible study. We pulled it off the calendar. We're not going to do men's group. We're not going to do women's groups. Um, we are the... I mean, like, there's one other thing we're going to do. We're going to do the... I'm sorry. We're going to do Sunday morning. We're going to do small groups twice a month. And we are going to continue the present schedule of G2. Because if we looked at it, we felt like for middle school and high school students, that, that is functioning as their small group. They meet twice a month. So those students will meet twice a month. It it functions as a small group for them, so we're not shutting down the equivalent of their small group. We're not going to do man-to-man. We're not going to do flourish. We're not going to do women's events. We're not going to do steps. We did a pilot of steps uh, this fall. I'm not saying that we may do it in the future in January, but we're not going to do it in the fall. We're not going to do bridge. We're not going to do reach or any other ministry with one name. (laughs) Steps, bridge, reach. No, uh, we're not, <laughs> not going to do Financial Peace University. At times in the church, we've had a monthly outreach. We're community groups. We're not doing that monthly outreach. We're not going to do the weekly Friday morning prayer meeting. Now, we really, really value prayer. We're going to ask all that prayer group to come on Sunday morning at 9 and anyone else as well. We're not going to do a new members class. We're not going to do a seminar, marriage, parenting, anything else. We're not going to do, uh, like what we've done this last year, some family parenting uh, teaching times and together, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're not going to do worship and prayer nights. We're not going to do the Mary Main Street outreach that we always do in December. And wow, this is the closest thing to, to uh, unorthodoxy that I've said. We're not going to do a big Christmas program because when we do a big Christmas program, w- many of us come and enjoy it. But a big group of us already in the summer are planning, practicing, writing, and, and starting to rehearse. We are going to do something. We'll have a Sunday Christmas service. We are going to do that, and we will have the kids sing. But we'll use the Sunday morning for their rehearsals. So we're not going to do a big Christmas program that requires all the prep and the rehearsal. We will celebrate Christmas. <laughs> there are also on the schedule a couple of people in the church getting married in the fall. It's okay to go ahead and get married. 
And there are maybe a couple ladies that are going to have babies. If you can wait till January, that's preferable. <laughs> but if you, have to, if you have to deliver between now and January, I guess that will be okay. I think we may have one family meeting in the fall. You know how we do those. Sometimes we may do that. But that's all the stuff we're cutting out. Why? Because we want to go back to the core. We want to give ourselves to our priorities. We want to pull the church together. I'm going to preach on Sunday mornings a brief series about what are we about, our values, our priorities. We want to cast vision. We want to call people to it. We want to find out who feels this is their church and how can they plug in relationally and make some meaningful connections together in a focused way. We're going to apply ourselves to the study of busyness. We're going to repent as God leads from inappropriate, uh, unprioritized busyness. We're going to catch our breath. We're going to help new folks jump in, and we're, but we're going to do it through relationships and not programs and ministries. So we're going to invite people into relationship like lunch or small group, something like that. Now, this will be an entire failed experiment. I don't think it's an experiment. It'd be a file, uh, an entirely failed um, experience if we take whatever free time we have and cram. Okay, now I don't have men's group. That means I can work till nine o'clock on Wednesday nights. Uh, I, I don't have women's group. That means I can volunteer at w- for one more committee at the school. I'm already on three committees at the school. I can get on a fourth one. Oh, wow, that's two free nights. And we're not doing, man, I used to be in bridge on Thursday nights. Okay, we can join one more sports league with the kids. The kids already play baseball and basketball in the fall, but I've been wanting to get them into hockey. This is the opportunity to do that. If we go there and cram all kinds of stuff in, we will lose the benefit of being simple. So with the free time, what we're going to talk a lot about is how can we leverage that? So you don't have a men's and women's night. How about if you got together with a couple guys and had dinner together just on your own and just related and talked about your life? What about if if, if, uh, on your ladies night, um, what about, and it's a place of forming, what about if you had your lost neighbor over for dinner? Because you never have time to have your lost neighbor over for dinner. Your lost neighbor only sees you waving as you pull into the garage and are done, plopping down, exhausted, in the fifth best city to raise kids in the country. Exhausted kids and exhausted parents. So th- that won't do I- any good. What if you said, wow, I used to... Uh, you know, I, I used to uh, serve uh, in the, in the uh, used to participate in the Friday morning prayer meeting. What if you just went on a prayer walk? Or what if you just got together with one friend and you interceded together? What if on a free night uh, you had a family night if you don't already do that as a family? What, what if you read? What if you had a time of family worship? Um, men, again, I mentioned Sunday mornings. What if you took someone out for lunch or invited them to your house? Uh, wow. I don't have to be up here at 7.30 on the worship team anymore. What if you got up and spent time sitting at the feet of the Lord, cultivating your heart so that when you come in here, you're ready to encounter him? What, what, what might life be like for us? Our mission is to make disciples who love Jesus, his church, and his world. We can't love Jesus if we aren't with him, if everything is so busy. I can't control how many hours, the pastors can't control how many hours your boss asks you to work. Um, I, I, I can't, we, we can't, and never would even want to give, you know, like the ideal schedule of how much activity your kids should be in. We're not, we're not laying that out. Everybody's different. Everybody has to prioritize according to how the Lord's calling them. But we can say for this season, while we get a handle on life, busyness, and time with the Lord, we're not going to add to the noise. We're going to call back and strip back and encourage everyone to uh, jump into what we're doing and use time to build relationships and connect in other ways. Can't love Jesus if we aren't with him. We can't love his church if we aren't with them in a meaningful way. We're just hopping around thing to thing. We can't love the world if we aren't inviting them into a place of rest with Christ. If we're just going to them and say, I've got a lot of other stuff for you to add on. So that's what we're going to do, and let's talk in January and see how it worked out. We we feel like it's what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying, focus, be clear, reinvest into what matters, into relationships and activity uh, in a meaningful way. So on August 31st, that's Labor Day, uh, we will have one service. 
and then through the last service of December, uh, that's what we will uh, that's what we will do. Um, and the two community groups start the first week of September. Um, so we're going to be lean. We're going to be focused. Uh, I think we many of us need that. Some of us don't. But if you go, hey, what are you talking about? This whole sermon missed me. Uh, my devotional life is chief and central, and I'm, I've got plenty of time. I'm looking for things to do. If that's you, we're not saying don't do anything. Invite someone over. Relate, go serve someone. Watch somebody's kids so that they can uh, get out as a couple uh, sometime. Again, take, uh, have your lost neighbor come over and relate with them. Uh, we're, we're not saying don't do anything. Uh, we're just saying we're, we want to focus, want to ensure that, and I didn't talk much about this, but I will. We want to ensure that our time with the Lord is central and that that's ordering all of our priorities and that as a church, we're focused for greater fruit. We're focused on the fundamentals. We're giving ourselves to what's key, and, and we're focused on that. And then our goal would be, as we're spending the fall, we're going to spend time with our leaders, uh, time cultivating leaders, and, and, and time planning for uh, what we want to do next calendar year. But we, are, we, are, uh, we will add in, hopefully wisely, in a way that would add in to what we're not. We're not planning on this being a lifestyle forever. It's kind of a diet. It's kind of a time stewardship diet. It's sort of a calendar detox. And so we're going to get rid of all of the calendar. No, that's not true. These aren't toxins and stuff we've been doing. But you know what I'm saying. We're going to detox and uh, then come back strong, sober, clear, focused, ready to go. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.